it's a it's the first line of the podcast man it's got to be on the money here roll down the window bill I I take one welcome to speak no evil the podcast you were warned about a speak all evil. I haven't got to no, yeah. no, no, oh, no. welcome to speak all evil the podcast you were warned about episode 10 and I can't even mockumentary mockumentary yeah okay, just do the whole thing again right, faster man. from there yeah. yeah, so you gotta give it some passion too man and you gotta okay 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 welcome to speak no evil the podcast no 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 speak all speak all evil speak all evil but start no start oh, on this start yeah down here yeah well that that would help tell yeah. me where to start yeah, yeah. i'm sorry that's okay welcome to speak all evil the podcast you were warned about episode 10 mock mockumentaries i i think your your teeth might have gotten away on that one try it one more you gotta time. watch your teeth too because they clack a little bit when they loosen up in the mouth right there just as quick as you can and I don't got that many teeth, <laughs> but they are, they're they're all pinned in too. All right, uh, take twenty. It's really twenty-two. Welcome to Speak All Evil, the podcast you were warned about, episode ten. Mockumentary. Mockumentary. Okay, okay, cut. You got to bring passion to it. A message. It's a message. This it's, is the, for the shits and for the birds. <laughs> this is for the birds. Okay, I believe we can do this. I believe this can be done, Bill. You have to believe in what you're saying, Bill. You do? Well, it, I don't. I don't believe nothing what you're doing. Welcome to Speak All Evil, the podcast you were warned about. We are still under shelter in place up in the other Portland that is of Maine. We haven't seen each other in weeks. I'm Trent. I am uh, deep down in the Dragon's Lair tonight, but via satellite, I am joined by Dave, Kevin, and Kat. Hey, guys. Hello. How's it going? Uh, everybody's uh, feeling pretty good, I think, um, despite the fact that uh, we can't be in the same room, and um, it's unclear when we will ever be in the same room again. Uh, if I have my way, <clears throat> maybe never. Um, this week, we uh, watched a bunch of mockumentaries. Um, mockumentary is a surprisingly robust subgenre uh, in the horror realm. Uh, also overlaps with found footage, and I think there are a lot of movies that you could describe as either found footage or mockumentary, but there is a difference. Uh, mockumentary is generally presented as uh, intentional, uh, whereas the found footage is more of an accidental uh, flavor. I think that everything we watched this week is solidly in the mockumentary realm. Dave, your pick was Sandman, 2006, JT Petty. Uh, maybe walk us through a little bit. What's this movie? Uh, Sandman is like a mockumentary hidden inside a documentary. Uh, so it is a, a documentary film about this very extreme outer limit threshold of horror movies 
super homemade, super disturbing. And then there's one guy um, who uh, is playing one of these people, and um, it's pretty convincing. And you might think, oh, geez, he's actually making snuff films. It's a, it's pretty sneaky, and it's pretty unique in the way that it's set up because I, I had never seen it. In fact, I was never I never even heard of this movie. Uh, until now. And so they set it up as sort of a real documentary using real people, which makes it confusing because they're talking to um, Bill Zabub and Fred Vogel um, of the August Underground series. Bill's, Bill Zabub does low budget films and has a radio show and uh, does a magazine about um, heavy metal and stuff like that. So they're kind of mixing in real people who are involved in the underground horror movies. But then they weave through that this um, this story about Eric Roast, who makes the Sandman movies, the underground quasi-snuff Sandman movies. And that's what you start to question as a viewer. The idea is that, like, is this guy Eric Roast, is he for real? Is he, is he, are these movies or are they actually snuff films? Yeah, I thought, I mean, I thought that uh, I'd never heard of this movie either. I'd never seen it. It's another one that Dave pulled out. Um Thanks, Dave, for the thousandth time for just ripping this random horror movie out and uh, throwing it at us. Um, I thought it was really well done. Um, I found it really interesting um, that Petty Petty has a really interesting career. And uh, throughout the film Sandman, he kind of shows and talks a little bit about his first movie, uh, which was called Soft for Digging. And I love the quotes that he gives as we're talking about sort of these extreme horror movie makers uh he actually says at one point well i guess i got credit for killing children and animals uh and that's something that we've talked about a bunch on this show where it's like you know if you're gonna be hardcore like you gotta kill the kid you gotta kill the family dog uh and then at one point he also says uh my mom said that they're all gonna think it's my fault um so it's it's an interesting insight into some of these filmmakers or people that are interested in this extreme genre uh, of horror. Um, but Petty also uh, did Mimic 3. Um, he did obviously Sandman in 06. Uh, and then he did The Burrowers, which is kind of like a, a Tremors in the 1800s, uh, not as campy. Um, he did Hellbenders, which is a comedy horror. And uh, he was also to have his new film, Malignant, come out this August 2020, uh, directed by James Wan. Um, but that has now been wiped off the slate because of the, uh, uh, the pandemic. Um, but Petty also started Sandman as a documentary about a peeping Tom in his neighborhood. Um, so there's this guy in the neighborhood he was living in that was filming all of his uh, all of his neighbors without their knowing. So some people started noticing, you know, like the 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 famous red dot that you see when a camera's on you and realized this guy was was filming them. Uh, so they went to the police. The police actually ended up confiscating over 190 tapes of the, the, the neighborhood that this guy was filming. But when they went to press charges, the police were like, yeah, you can do that. But all of this footage has to be gone through for us to see exactly what he was doing. And the whole hood was like, yeah, no, we're good. We don't want to know. We don't want to know what that guy found us doing. Uh, so Petty was up Shit's Creek. Uh, he'd already had funding for the movie and obviously was into filming. He couldn't get the Peeping Tom involved in, in the documentary he wanted to make. So he came up with this whole idea of doing some, some real-life people in horror and, and extreme horror and some authors and psychiatrists and people and then wove in one of his friends uh, 
uh, Eric Roast is the character that Trent was just talking about. He wove that into the movie, and I thought it was super well done. I wasn't 100% satisfied with the, I guess, uh, reveal. Um, I think he was trying to go a little more suspenseful about is this a snuff film or is it not? I would have liked, I guess, a little more definitive ending. Um, but I love this movie. So, you know, thanks for the toss out. I think that's a really interesting way that he went with it. I had no idea that, you know, he kind of set out to make, I thought that was just a part of the story that he had made up, that it was about like a real peeping Tom. So I think that's a very like, you know, gung ho way to do it where you have all that footage, you have all that money, you might as well <laughs> just make up a, you know, weird snuff film story to go with it. Um, I thought this was a little creepy uh, just because I had a hard time kind of find like uh, realizing which parts were real or not. Um, and I think like the creepiest part was the like people they were interviewing, like the psychiatrist or the scientist, the PhD person, um, basically explaining. They make these films as a way to like get it off their chest and there's no way that they would ever act on it and things like that. And then that's like superimposed next to, you know, the, the supposed snuff film, like the supposed guy murdering the women, which I thought was the creepy part. I like that they uh, explain that the two different types of horror, the one that you're the victim, and then the other type of horror, which is that you are actually the person that is capable of doing something like this. And the closer you put yourself into that position, the more terrifying it becomes. Yeah, and, and that was uh, a real uh, figure. Kevin, what, what's, the, what's the woman's name and what was the name of the book that she wrote? Carol Clover. Uh, she did. She was the one that kept showing up as the author. Um, and she did a book called Men, Women, and Chainsaws, Gender in Modern Horror. Um, that's a real book. She has several others. I thought that her interview portion, which is legit, I think, uh, was really good. Um, I didn't love what you were talking about, Kat. I did not enjoy the the husband and wife team of psychiatrists, psychologists, whatever the hell they were that were trying to present the themselves as. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the sexologists that, that were like, we're experts on paraphilias. Like, sorry, uh, unless you're a paraphiliac, you're not an expert on it. So yeah. shut the fuck up. Yeah. And I think, and I didn't, they weren't very likable personally. So I think no. I thought it was funny that they had, you know, the scenes of basically like proving them wrong, like right next to their stupid faces talking about it. I just like watching an old lady watch really gruesome horror movies and talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> it rekindled my interest in the August Underground series a little bit. That's, um, uh, a series of early aughts underground horror that, uh, at least for a period of time, people were um, questioning whether it was real or not. You can't really find the stuff out there unless you're on the dark web. Um, you can order a CD bundle for a lot of money. Maybe we could do like a GoFundMe at some point <laughs> and raise funds to order the August Shit. Underground series. Yeah, I, I got a, I got a buddy that showed this to me that he's he's trying to dig out one of his old hard drives. He's convinced oh, he still has this movie. Oh, good, good. Um, but yeah, I, I saw this in like the early two thousands. It must have been oh five, oh six. I don't know. Um, and that's Fred Vogel that you talked about, Trent, who has toe tag pictures, and he made. Uh, I, I only know of August Underground. Apparently, there is a series of movies. He's made a bunch. But it's like, what kind of parties? Yeah, handheld. Do you go to what kind of parties do you go to where they whip out <laughs> these kind of movies, dude? Were you on a dominatrix wheel? Like, what's going on? <laughs> oh my god! 
That's why the swingers yeah. parties. That's why mostly swingers parties. <laughs> That's why he's so. Well, it's just like uh, we talked about, you know, like mo- movies fueled by uh, cocaine. These were parties fueled by cocaine that led to movies that apparently yeah. some of my friends like to watch after doing a bunch of that. And I think um, at that moment, so I, was, I would I gracefully was, bow out of the party. I'd be like, "Thank you so much for the cocaine. This has been great. Enjoy your weird snuff films." You or creeps. would you? I mean, this could be like the invitation. <laughs> yeah. That's why Kevin was so upset by the paraphilia experts because he was like fact checking them the whole time with his own experience <laughs> oh. with paraphilia. No, that's not right. That's not how we do our parties. First, we watch un- August Underground. Oh my god! Uh, <laughs> no, first the cocaine, then the August Underground. <laughs> well, anyway, I thought this was cool because it harkened back to something that we've talked about in the past um, when we talked about Faces of Death. There's always been this sort of element of new horror that um, is distinct from the classic era where there's questioning about what's real and what's not real and people whisper about these things that might or might not be snuff films. And there's a lot of movies about that. It's kind of a fourth wall breaking thing. Uh, Also, shout out Carrie Taylor, the uh, fetish model who stars in this movie, um, I guess she does mostly latex now. I found her on Twitter and um, followed her. I might. She doesn't seem to have a whole lot of followers right now, but I think it's definitely her. Um, so I might be making some contact, and I'll keep you guys updated on that. Thank you. Another uh, movie that we watched this week, uh, solidly in the uh, mockumentary category. In fact, I think a hugely influential horror mockumentary is uh, Man Bites Dog. The 1992 Belgian, I guess it's Belgian or French, uh, movie by uh, Remy Belvaux. Um, this is um, a film crew is making a movie about this very charismatic, uh, very charming intelligent uh, renaissance man uh, named Ben. He's, uh, he's into the arts and music and philosophy and architecture. Um, you know, fun guy, type of like killer that you want to hang out, have a beer with, maybe go out for some shellfish or something. Um, but, what he, but what he does um, professionally is that he is a serial killer and he likes to talk about uh, his killings and and share all his methods and he takes this film crew all around and they watch him and end up helping him um, kill people. Um, I had never seen this before. It's another one I had never seen. Um, I'd heard about it because it's cited so often as, as being launching a lot of these sort of um, mockumentary horror ships. Um, I found it to be very reminiscent though of uh, Henry Portrait of a Serial, uh, serial Killer. The 1985, I think, is Henry. Um, That's not a mockumentary or a documentary, but it's shot in a similarly unsparing um, style. And so this kind of reminded me of that. I was surprised this came so much later after Henry. Um, But Man Bites Dog, I absolutely loved it. Uh, I thought it was really affecting. What did you guys think of this? I think the the distinguished gentleman killer, um, this guy wasn't the most suave. But I, I like this style. <laughs> I had never heard of this movie. So, again, 50% of these films I had, I had never heard of. The, obviously, the first two we're talking about. I stumbled across this when I was researching the film we'll talk about next, um, Behind the Mask. 
and it found a lot of criticism comparing Behind the Mask to Man Bites Dog. And I, I think on the text thread, um, shot that out like, hey, anyone ever seen this? And Dave was immediately like, yeah, it's great. Like, you got to watch it. Um, so it's, it's actually the, the three main characters, Remy, Andre, and Ben, um, they're the three writers and producers and directors, and they all star in the movie as themselves, or, or at least using their first names. So Remy stars as the director, Andre stars as the, uh, the camera guy, uh, and then you have Ben, who you guys were talking about as a serial killer. Um, I thought this movie was unbelievably well done. Uh, the fact that it's shot in black and white, I think, was a brilliant touch. Um, and yeah, it's a it's a hard watch. I think you know. I think Dave, you asked me both. Like, did you like Sandman? Did you like Man Bites Dog? And it's like, it's hard to answer that question with like, oh yeah, I really liked it. I I love uh, real depictions of people being murdered. Um, but as a huge horror fan, uh, it, it, it it's both of those films are super well done. Uh, and Trent, I would agree. I think Man Bites Dog, I have no idea how I'd never heard of it. I think it it has to be a huge catalyst for a bunch of mockumentaries that, that came after it. Um, you know, I saw... Oh, okay. We keep no. doing that. I know. <laughs> so what we want to do is, like, everybody take a turn. So when you know it's your turn, just go. Okay, Trent, I know it's my turn. Thank you. Jesus but, Christ. Yeah, I know, but, like, once every... Once, like, all other three people are talking, then it's your turn. So this guy... <laughs> This guy was definitely had that Hannibal Lecter vibe going on. Um, he was very uh, well-educated, uh, new classical instruments and stuff like that. But he was just so narcissistic and full of himself that he was just, I feel like, blinded by that and made very stupid decisions. Um, whereas a Hannibal Lecter type, you know, killed for years and years and years until he was caught. But this guy was just such a fucking idiot. And such a hothead that he um, he fucked he fucked himself a little bit. I would say. I actually thought that most of his killings like lacked any sort of passion at all. It was just kind of like I'm just killing because that's what I do. Yeah, for the paycheck. It's all about yeah, and that's a big thing with his. Um, I, w I won't say cohorts like his friends and family that know that he does it is they're all just like oh yeah I know you know we all have to make a living some way you know but then it gets to the scene where he you know shoots someone at the dinner table and everyone's like like nobody wants to see how the sausage is made he judges you know? everybody but else's occupation the whole movie he judges every you know like uh the way they built the city <laughs> what they built it out of what it means all these conspiracies. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought he had some. Uh, I thought he had some good points about the architecture. I, I kind of agreed with him, but um, that did that did. That's an interesting point about the the professional aspect because a big part of it is is the money. He's selecting his victims in part um, because of what he can pull from them. Like most serial killers um, in movies, they're portrayed like, for example, uh, Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer or. Uh, the movie Angst, which is very similar to Man Bites Dog, you know, they're they're coming at it much more from a pathological uh, and a sadistic standpoint. Whereas, yeah, Benny in this movie, he doesn't really he doesn't really appear to be like getting jollies so much out of it or like kick so much as he just wants that money. You know, this is what he does. This is game. It's, it's a very blue collar. It's business. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's business. I mean, he he outlines how he loves starting off the month by killing a postman. That's his favorite victim because then he can steal a bunch of pension checks and then through the pension checks find a bunch of old people that he can then go kill. Um, I mean, it's it, it's laid out like a total business plan for this guy. And like you guys said, he says it with like no affect, no emotion. It's just like if I were to explain to you what I do for work today, I would do it in a very probably passionless way. And that's how this guy describes killing tons of people. It's dope that he he kills people in uniform and then puts on their uniform. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think that's funny. It's I was just to say, why yeah, is that? He wants to feel like he's special, uh, like he's some sort of authority um, figure. My, my favorite, uh, my favorite killing was the old lady, which was particularly, uh, particularly oh. savage. Um, I don't want to give it away because it's uh, it's pretty it's pretty fun. I don't know. Um, but then also the birthday party. There was a scene where his friends throw a birthday party for him, and he's it's sort of a weird sort of like. It's almost like he's the spoiled child um, that nobody wants to um, to make angry. And so they all have to be very careful. And, and he does a bunch of things at the birthday party that normally would end the party and have people running away and calling the police or something. But everybody just acts – it was very creepy um, how everybody just acts like nothing's wrong. They just, yeah, this is just, uh, just Ben's party. Um, they just continue with the gift giving and, you know, he's almost like some kind of weird cult leader or a celebrity and everybody seems to be under that spell including the film crew yeah they're just like have their faces splattered with blood and they're like no this is fine here's your second gift <laughs> yeah they just <laughs> yeah they keep giving him presents <laughs> like it's like if the four of us were hanging out and i just like killed one of you and then you guys were like hey can you <laughs> yeah. want another drink like let me pour that for you oh great my my favorite scene uh, and I watched it again today. It's on YouTube just as a singular scene. It's, it's only like three minutes long is the cocktail scene. And Kat, I hope that uh, I hope that you're going to pick up on this. Um, so they're they're hammered. And this is after the film crew. So the film crew following him ends up getting involved in his murders to the point where um, they end up uh, when he bursts in to do a home invasion. He he comes upon a, a husband, a wife and a son and kills the parents and then catches the kid and the film crew ends up holding down this kid and, and smother and while Ben smothers him. It's that to me is the most horrifying scene. Maybe I other can think than, of another one. Yeah. The rape. <laughs> yeah. But they 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 end up going out and getting smashed at this bar. And Ben has this cocktail that he is making everybody drink and he's calling it uh, the dead baby boy. So this cocktail is actually based on the 1984 killing of a four-year-old boy named Gregory Viamen, uh, who was found floating in a river with his hands oh. and legs tied. Um, so you must – I know that you, I True do. Crime Cat, you've heard yeah. at least a podcast. Was, uh, there's a documentary like the Madeline on- McCain kind of situation of like France. Like, like they thought the parents did it. It's one, like it's one, all that shit. It's one of the most famous unsolved mm-hmm. murders in France. So this little boy was playing out in front of his house. Um, his uncle got a call that said 
and, and this family had been receiving calls for, for a long time, said, like, I took your boy and drowned him in the river. They ended up finding him in the river. But anyway, you, you can look it up. It's, it's Who Killed Little Gregory is a, a documentary on Netflix. Uh, the Generation Y podcast, which I love, episode mm-hmm. 279, um, has a whole bunch about this. Um, but in the scene, as Ben's making this cocktail, he says, it's a tear of gin, a river of tonic. And then the olive and the sugar cube are tied together to symbolize yeah. the we need dead to, Yeah, boy. we need to make those. And, and knowing, I, knowing... I wrote it down yeah. because I was like, oh, maybe we could make this. It's just a fucking yeah. gin and tonic. It's gross. It's a gin and tonic with an olive and, like, no ice. And sugar. And sorry, and sugar, yeah. And sugar. Oh, and I, I meant so, to, so I meant to say, sorry, it's um, it's like the John Bonnet of France, not the Madeleine McCain. Yes. she, her body, her Madeline body was McCain. never yeah, found. So. Get, get your dead get your dead kids straight uh, true crime <laughs> true crime lady such a fucking amateur I would just like to point out that you know I asked Kevin if he liked a movie that I recommended for the week and he acts all bashful like oh, I, I wouldn't want to say that I liked it because uh, people die in it and then meanwhile he's going to the most gruesome scene of the movie and watching it on repeat on YouTube. Like, oh, I didn't itself. watch it again. Like, I just I pulled out the dead baby scene on YouTube. Yeah. I just want to make sure I had that, had that drink right. Guilty as charged. I, I guess my point's not coming across. Uh, well the next time yes, okay. the next time we I'll see each that. other, if the shelter in place ever ends, um, we will have to drink dead baby boys on the show and right. do it. It's, it's, a, it's like a drinking contest. It's not just a drink, but whoever's um, sugar cube representing what's holding down the baby boy dissolves first. Like you have to kind of drink it in that order. So there's winners and losers and uh, we'll definitely do that. Great. There's a sentence I never thought I'd hear. The next time we get together, we'll have to drink some dead baby boys. Can't wait. That's what I said. Thank, thanks, Kevin. Thanks. <laughs> uh, I should... <laughs> there, there was one more um, cool murder though in this. The um, and I don't want to describe it again. Let's not like you know tell everything. But the flute murder at the end. <laughs> oh and, boy, good call, dude! Broom, wow, the broomstick, the wow. broomstick as well. Well, they don't show, they don't show the broomstick. It's like him slamming it on the street and his insinuation. But they like, show that better. flute. That flute. It's I mean, better. you could walk up and play it. It's <laughs> like my mother doesn't play the flute. <laughs> So you can you can watch this movie right now on Criterion. I think is the only channel, um, and I've had Criterion for a couple weeks now. It is great. A lot of great stuff on there that's not available anywhere else. Uh, Man bites dog is on there. This was a student film um, made for no money at all. One of the reasons they took the approach that they did in the black and white is because they just didn't have any money, and they made an all time classic. So yeah, yeah. So. So, so with the with the with the budget, um, if I can just toss in a few more nerd facts, with the budget, they they only did this for like thirty three thousand dollars, but it took them a whole year to do, and they kept running out of money. So they kept going to their friends and family and crew members, and like they put their own money in. But do you notice in the film they constantly make reference to the fact that they're running out of money in the movie? Yeah, and then oh, yeah. And, and then also um, Ben's mother and grandparents in the movie are his actual mother and grandparents in real life, and they had no Aww. they had no idea that they were actually being filmed <laughs> for a movie that Ben was a serial killer. They thought that he was just doing a student film, and they were getting this raw footage of him. So his mother actually got super upset when they called her down to the jail to film the scene where Ben's in jail because he finally got caught. 
And they didn't actually realize that any of this was happening until the film was released. Wow. That's all right. That's I pretty talk fucked about up. The, I want to talk about the flute more. <laughs> <laughs> One time wanna, at band camp? I want to tell him about the flute. Oh my God. Let me tell him. All right, go ahead. He's a renaissance man. <laughs> Well, he doesn't even do it. He's he's at war uh, with what seems to be other uh, serial killers and possibly other uh, documentary crews. Yeah. Um, yes. And in retaliation, uh, he finds – does he have a girlfriend? Is it his girlfriend or just a friend? So yeah, play, his girlfriend. His girlfriend. She, they play music together, uh, classical music yeah. together. And he finds her with a flute stuffed up her ass. <laughs> and then Spoiler the scene we mentioned – the scene we mentioned before, though, is just shows him with a broomstick mad. And the guy's like, what's wrong? What's wrong? He's like, my mother doesn't play the flute. And he slips down the broomstick. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. Aww. I just had to tell the listener that because I feel it's like. Good. It's, it's good. That no, doesn't spoil it. I loved it because it was like, as the camera was slowly going into the bedroom where this dead body was, I was like, is that. I'm like, what is that? And then we get closer. I'm like, is that a flute? <laughs> oh, but the fact that he the fact that he pulls it out of her ass and then he's cleaning he it. And what does he say? He's, oh, yeah, he says something it. like, it's like shit isn't good for notes or something. Or like, yeah. like <laughs> they're like, oh, is soap good for a flute? And he's like, oh, shit isn't good for it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we sound fucking horrible. Well, you weren't. You could have been nicer. But oh my you could god! Could have been nicer on Twitter. What, what do you mean? I could have been. You nicer. You seemed like you had a little problem on Twitter this morning. I don't know what it was. Uh, anyway, Kevin, Kevin, you want to? Why don't you kick off um, "Man Behind the Mask" or whatever the hell it's called? <laughs> whatever it's called. Mask, yeah. mask in the mirror. Yeah. So our next is. pick is uh, "Man in the Mirror." It's a song by Michael Jackson. Uh <laughs> no, so our next our next movie was was my pick is uh, Behind the Mask: The Rise of Leslie Vernon. Um, this is a 2006 mockumentary um, made on a super small budget of two hundred fifty thousand dollars. It was written and directed by Scott Glosserman and co-written by David Steve. Um, it is about uh, again uh, eerily similar to Man Bites Dog about a film crew that is following um, an aspiring serial killer, a slasher. Um, as he prepares to 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 reach the the top of the mountain for him, he he has picked his final girl. Um, he has his whole backstory made up. Um, he has his mentor, his is, uh, and he also has found uh, or eventually finds in the movie his Ahab, his Doctor Loomis, if you will. Um, so, like Man by Dog, it sort of treads the waters of like, should the film crew be doing this? Um, should they be stepping in? Um, this movie I found a little uh, a little different than Man by Stog, and I think Trent, you disagree. Where I, I feel like this is more of like a love letter to slasher films, and that the film crew isn't necessarily buying into it from the from the get go, like Man Bites Dog clearly is. Um, I feel like it's not until the very end that they realize, like, oh shit, this is real. Um, but I like this movie. I think it, I think it holds up pretty well. Um, I, I'd love to know what you Let, guys think. Can you back it up just a little bit? You mentioned um, two things. You mentioned the final girl that this character Leslie Vernon is looking for, and you also mentioned 
the Ahab that this killer is also looking for. What, what do those two terms mean in this movie? What does he mean by his final girl and his Ahab? Yeah, so, I mean, typically in a, in a slasher film, you're going to have a final girl. Somebody that is, is, is typically in a, in a slasher film uh, is wholesome. Um, they're usually a virgin. Um, they're the ones at the party that aren't drinking, that aren't making out with people. Um, so in, in the course of the movie, Leslie is stalking this one particular girl, and he is convinced that she is wholesome, that she'll be the one at the party uh, that's not drinking, that's not having sex. Um, and that's the one that he is convinced that he you know, will either kill him or <clears throat> get away. Um, and then the Ahab is like the, I think the Dr. Loomis, uh, character. And in this movie, it's, it's played by Robert Englund, who uh, I think we all know is, is Freddy Krueger from the Nightmare on Elm Street series. Um, that is usually the character that is, is, uh, They've they've lost their job or they've given up their career uh, to follow this one subject. They're Michael Myers, if you will, um, because they either studied them, um, you know, as a psychiatrist or they were their doctor. Um, but they know that this person is pure evil, and they are giving their entire lives to stopping it. I like. Compa- oh, Did you fuck. We it's did Dave's it again. Okay. Is it my turn, turn this time? Actually, yeah, it's your it's turn. Like, it's your turn. Yeah. Um, I like in this this movie that um, it shows the charismatic sociopath killer, uh, the Ted Bundys of the world. I like you know Jason's scary, but it's and and Freddie's scary, but uh, the dude that's just like mm-hmm. the guy that works his yeah. way into your circle or gets somehow into your world because of his charisma and his personality. Uh, that dude's terrifying. <laughs> his mentor um his mentor is a retired serial killer it's a great term <laughs> retired serial killer yeah so he's 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 got a retired serial killer who was one of the best in the game this is an older guy and they acknowledge part of the movie part of the conceit is that um people like jason Voorhees and freddy krueger and and uh michael myers are real and um, and that's that's who Leslie wants to follow in the footsteps of. But his his mentor was doing this work. He was in the game in the biz before Voorhees and uh, and Kruger. And he, you know, and he talks about those killers kind of like they they took his work to a new level. Um, so he's he's like um, advising and and um, you know helping Leslie along. I didn't really I didn't love this one. I thought it was fine. Um, you know, there's some funny stuff. I like the cardio thing where he's talking about how we've talked about <laughs> slow killers in the past and he's talking about how, you know, he's like, I have to walk and all these people are running for their lives, you know, and I have to keep up with them. So <laughs> he's, he's got to be in tip top shape. You know, I had to pull this thing off. Um, I liked uh, there was microfiche in this. Yes. <laughs> oh, Got to have microfiche. Um, I liked that the final girl um, or who the person who is introduced as the final girl actually looks like a teenager like a lot of these movies the teenager is played by someone who's like over 25 at least so that was a little more believable than than many um robert england obviously huge nipples in this movie um you guys robert england has huge nipples no no the the um (laughs) the, the the main boob scene, uh, the main boob scene in the basement when yeah. the kids are at the house. Do you get? Did you didn't notice the size of the nipples involved there? I must have glossed over it. 
Really? I, Kevin, you I didn't, didn't make no. a note. I, I usually I make a bunch of notes about boobs, but this one was just yeah, very skin. My boob log. I thought you yeah. had a whole yeah, you had a whole boob log. These nipples are the biggest I, nipples I've ever seen, probably. I if I don't remember them, I feel like I must have seen yeah. bigger nipples. Huh. Wow, that's disappointing. I, I look, I look <laughs> for you. I look. I look for you to point out the entrails, not the nipples. Stay in your lane. I like to. Yeah, there's no it. There was no entrails in this, so that's another point against it. And lastly. Um, I thought it was weird how, like, there's the stoners, uh, the stoner kids. The stoners are, like, totally incapacitated by weed. Like, they're not, they're supposed to be just stoned, but they act like they're, like, on special K. Like, they can't even They're move amateurs. Or, like, they, yeah. like, they can't, like, they can barely walk. They smoke so much weed. Uh, I just, Gives I thought the acting name. was, um, I thought the acting was somewhat bad. Like, I didn't really buy the documentary crew at all. Um, Leslie, I didn't really like Leslie. He was, like... Like yeah. if um, if Ben from Man Bites Dog is the Renaissance killer, um, Leslie Vernon is like the frat boy killer. Like he just like very smarmy. Like his charm is very um, shallow and uh, and smarmy. I, I didn't really uh, I didn't care for him. Cat, what did you think? I will say I definitely was more invested in the serial killer character in uh, Behind the Mask when I thought he was really like the childhood like neighborhood killer but then that weird story of him actually being from like california or something weird i kind of lost a little bit of interest there um but it's funny because obviously this film takes a lot from man bites dog um and man bites dog is technically a comedy um but this one is Definitely more on the comedy than horror side, I would say. And the the moment that he puts that fucking turtle mask on. <laughs> I oh, is it a turtle? I, that's yeah, he's a turtle. Oh. He's a turtle. Yeah. I didn't get the mask. I was like, what is this mask? Yeah, bad. There's yeah, his dad was like the turtle I don't re- I don't remember the reference, yeah, but something was there was like, something about turtles ate his dad or something. Yeah. <laughs> And he and he keeps turtles. He keeps turtles in the aquarium. Yeah. But then I didn't connect that to the bizarre yeah. mask that he wears. So the as, turtle mask. As soon as he puts that mask on, I had to pause the movie because I was cackling so loud. <laughs> <laughs> that little tuft of hair at the top. I lost it. The movie that I, I recommended to you guys this week, I see you. Uh, there's a frog mask, a homemade frog mask that's pretty legendary. I I like the. I always like a different mask. Like if someone rolls up in a horror movie wearing some new kind of mask I haven't seen before, I like it. I like looking for like the scariest stuffed animal at Goodwill, like the homemade one that's got like the droopy eye, the ear that's not the haunted, on. the haunted doll. All right, that's that's scary. Yeah, I like yeah. the. Um, I thought it was interesting the- that a movie called Behind the Mask had one of the worst masks. That you could ever see. I mean, I didn't mind it. No, I didn't mind that mask. I liked it. It was just so funny. I it mean, was original. It was original. Uh, I appreciated that it was original, and he had his uh, he had a signature weapon. He has like the hand sickle. Yeah. Which yep. you know, it's kind of it's good to have a signature. I think. I mean, this and this, like I said, this movie is a, a love letter to to slasher films, um, and I love the fact that they had Kane Hodder doing a cameo. Um, Kane Hodder is famous for playing Jason in a number of Friday the 13th movies, but he's actually filmed walking into the Nightmare on Elm Street house 
And the film crew runs up and they're like, hey, sir, is this the house uh, where Freddy Krueger and Kane Hodder's the one that's like, yeah, I don't want to talk to you and just walks in the, oh, in the door. Oh, that's so funny. Uh, in the library, yeah. you have Zelda Rubenstein, who is oh, yes. from Poltergeist. Okay. And yes, when I was looking, right, when right, I was looking right. up Zelda, she also did the voice. She has that very distinct, like elfish voice. Um, she did the voice of the Skittles candy in the Taste the Rainbow ad campaign. Um, and then obviously we talked about uh, Robert England. So um, they pay homage to a ton of our favorite, you know, old eighties um, slasher movies. I think they do it pretty well. Um, and then the, the last casting thing that blew my mind is the entire time I was watching um, Taylor or Tay, as Leslie keeps calling her, she is the the on-air personality and sort of the, the director and lead of the film crew. I was like, why does she look so familiar to me? She is actually, uh, she played Macaulay Culkin's sister in Home Alone. <gasps> so when I looked her up finally, I was like, Oh my god. Yes, like, she did. And you know what? I'm I'm glad I didn't recognize that at first because it would have made it so hard to take the movie even a yeah. little bit seriously if I was like, yeah, okay, you're like Kevin McAllister's uh, yeah. sister that was so fucking you're mean to him. You're what the French like, call les incompetents. That's what she fucking yeah. said. Yep. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, uh, D- Dave, do you have a tambourine <laughs> on you? By any chance, is that? I don't. Why? Did your break, yours break? Or you've you been using sleigh bells? What I keep you- hearing a tambourine. <laughs> I don't know if Santa Claus. I don't know if Santa Claus is coming. No, if I think it's ice. It's I not. think it's these guys. The ice. I have made somebody. Zero somebody noise. asked Terry. I have a tambourine in my ear. I have no ice. I have it's a tambourine in my ear. No, I can still hear your eyes. Can we? Okay. <laughs> so here's. Well, okay. Well, here, here's the thing, and uh, we can go behind the curtain. I think for a minute. Behind the so, mask. Yeah, we're gonna go behind the mask real quick here. Um, just skip the ice cubes just for one hour. That's what that, that would be my. You know what I mean? Just don't use ice cubes. I have no uh, it ice. literally was not me. Well, there's a tambourine man. I don't know, Mr. Tambourine Man. I don't even have a drink. Somewhere. I'm not drinking anything. I'm just. <laughs> you are. You're trolling me. You're, now you're hitting a tambourine. I can hear you. That's fine. I'm not. Don't sing if you want to live long. They have no use for your song You're dead, you're dead, you're dead You're dead and out of this world uh, I, I can't pick what we do in the shadows for the mockumentary pick because I like to lighten things up a bit. Um, and I thought that Taika Waititi's beautiful film would really bring all of our spirits up. Um, so what we do in the shadows is about a, uh, I'd say like, it's kind of like got a dorm vibe, like a dorm room, uh, full or a dorm mansion full of vampires from different eras, which leads to some real tomfoolery, if I do say so myself. Um, so we have a medieval vampire, an 18th century vampire, who is uh, referred to, quote-unquote, as Dandy, which I I like. Um, And then we have, like, the uh, Nosferatu-type vampire, like, the first vampire. And then the, like, the bad boy, like, the young guy, who's only, like, (laughs) 200 200 years years old. So, (laughs) it's cute. I like it. Um, 
it's just everyone interacting with each other, just fulfilling all the vampire tropes. And then they end up turning a brandy new vampire, which takes like that weird like Twilight oh, you had to go vampire there. situation and adds it into the mix. I, th- I thought it was fun. Uh, I loved this one. This is probably my... I, I don't know if, if this or Man Bites Dog was my favorite. Man Bites Dog was my favorite as a traditional hardcore um, horror guy, but <laughs> what we do in the shadows, I another one I had never seen. Obviously, I knew a lot about it, but I just never gotten around to it. This is 2014. Uh, Jermaine Clement and uh, Teka Waititi, um, who made my favorite movie of last year, um, Jojo Rabbit. Um I, I loved this movie. Also, yeah, he's done... He did, like, a couple of Thor movies and some other stuff. Um, I thought it was hilarious. Like, this is just, like, a... There's something so comforting in... The, the humor is so sharp. And if you're a horror fan and you've seen a million and one uh, vampire movies, to see this, like, basically... It's like the vampire spinal tap. Like, if you... It, it's very Good much call. like the... It's like the best in... It's the best in show or the spinal tap. If you took that whole... Um, that whole mode of filmmaking and you put it on vampires, yeah. <laughs> this is that movie. Yeah, I don't want to steal, I don't want to steal Dave Slender because I'm sure he wants to talk about uh, Flight of the Concords. Um, but I would like to point out the fact that this is another New Zealand film. And somehow we've had so many New Zealand films pop up uh, in our show so far, um, whether it's indie or so bad it's good or what have you. But Trent nailed it. Like, this reminded me so much of, like, Christopher Guest. Um, it, it's, it, it is brilliant. And I can't believe that this Taika Watiti guy ended up doing, like, Thor Ragnarok. I mean, it was one of the biggest Marvel movies uh, in the entire, you know, MCU. Um, and then, then we go, go on to do Jojo Rabbit. Um, but, you know, this, this guy, oh, uh, he also starred in the movie. You know, he played Viago, who is, 300, so is 379 so years old. He he based the character on his own mother, which I thought was <laughs> amazing. Um, Jermaine Clement, uh, who was one of the writers and directors, he's Vlad. He's 862 years old, and he's based on Vlad the Impaler. Aww. And I almost, like, lost my shit when they called him Vladisav the Poker. Um, and then you have you have uh, Peter who is uh, the 8,000 year old vampire who is obviously modeled after Nosferatu yeah um, which I think Dave you said you were watching that was my favorite Um, and then Deacon is is the youngest vampire at 183 years old and and they're they're living together Um, they're still like like keeping their old timey ways and dresses um, or dressings and trying to navigate, you know, modern life. Um, they, they did this movie and they filmed over 150 hours of footage. Um, they tried to boil it down to what we saw and they did three cuts. They did a pure comedy cut. Um, they did a, a much more serious story driven cut. And then they did a blend, which I think we're, we're all aware the blend won out. Um, and the, the, uh, Jermaine Clement and, and Taikidi Watiti, or Taika Watiti, they wrote a full script for this movie. And then when they started filming, they realized, you know what? I have no interest uh, in following a script. So what they would do is they would get everyone into a scene and they would give a general description of the scene. And almost everything you see in this movie is completely improvised. My, my favorite, most honest 
gag in Hollywood is the culture shock, you know, like just visiting where there's like a knight who's suddenly in the middle of Manhattan or like enchanted or some shit. Like, I love that stuff. Yeah. Like that stuff is just really honestly funny to me. And what you have in this is you have the culture shock between them because they're thousands or hundreds of years different in age. And then them trying to relate to the outside world uh, as well. In, in the city, like, trying to club and having to be invited into the club by these bouncers. Yeah. And they end up going to the yeah. lamest club. It reminded me of, like, us when yeah. we try to, like, go take Manhattans. You know, like... I really pictured, like, trying to get into a club and trying to communicate to the bouncer that he has to specifically invite me. Or I can't go like... No, but, but do you invite me, though? Do, but do you invite me? Can you just invite me? Like... Yeah, he's like, Give, show me your fucking ID. Show me your fucking and ID. And I don't know man. why Peter's character was like my favorite oh, one. Peter? Like, yeah. I love. Oh, oh Peter. yeah, me too. Oh, me too. Peter. I was Peter. I was genuinely, I was genuinely upset when 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 uh, Peter's demise occurred. <laughs> like, I was like, oh man, why do I feel for this character? Oh, like, he was I'll, so good. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. This is my take on Peter. So a lot of this movie to me was um, playing with the idea of being obviously a societal outsider. And I think that there's a lot of stuff in here about being part of uh, marginalized communities. I think there's a lot of sort of very sly um, sort of gay stuff going on. And I think that Peter, to me, Peter is like, so these guys are all, they're all trying to um, assimilate into modern society as being hundreds of year old vampires. Peter is like the old queen that they keep in the basement. Peter is the old queen. They keep in the basement. He's not very adept at like he he can't pass at all. You can't take Peter anywhere. He's gonna be he's gonna make it a fuss. He doesn't pass, and he just has to live downstairs in, in his uh, you know in his stone uh, his stone coffin. And that to me that that was his role in the movie. I thought he was actually scary. I thought he was scarier than a lot of horror movie characters. I know yeah. he's based on Nosferatu, but as a version of Nosferatu, uh, just the makeup and everything was pretty scary. I like. Yeah, when when um when when Viago's trying to bring like the chicken down to him to eat, and he's like moving yeah. <laughs> moving the tomb, like that was legit scary. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would say that Peter's the only scary vampire out of all of them. I think they all try to go for like the sexy vampire, like especially um, glad. Uh, Deacon, Deacon when he's doing that weird, like he's like, I'm trying to do this erotic dance for my friends and you just interrupt us. And it's just him like trying to make direct eye contact with everybody while he's creepily dancing. Um, uh, that one, that early scene where they, they have the, the uh, house meeting, roommate meeting, you know, yeah. and they're talking yeah. about the dishes and the dishes. Have to start. <laughs> yes. You haven't done the dishes in five years. And it's like, yeah, well, who cares? You bring people here and you kill them. Like, what, what does it matter? And I, I could really relate to that. I sort of felt like, you know, like anybody that comes over to my place is going to get killed in one way or another. I don't you know. Who yeah. am I trying to impress? And here, you know? When, um, when, uh, Viago, makes that whole speech about he's like lay some newspaper down you know if you know that you're gonna be and so then he brought that girl home to like the mansion and he's trying to make small talk as he's slyly like putting newspaper down and then he like hits the the artery and it's just like (laughs) like everywhere he's like oh no he's just he's the most likable 
character I think in any film I've ever seen. He's just so like simple. He's so sweet. He's got that accent. It makes total sense that he would go on to do um, some pretty big budget movies because who wouldn't want to be directed by that guy? I mean, who wouldn't want to be taking, you know, direction on a set from from him? You know, he, he seems a little more qualified than mm-hmm. like Bill's above. A little, yeah. Um, and I, I, <laughs> so so w- one oh. character in this movie we haven't talked about at all is is, is what? It's a little Calvin what, action. What happened? Doug. Aw. Stomp his app- ass. We got put a application for we Put an application oh, in for a dog today. We're, we're, hoping, we're hoping it works. So. Oh, making news. Uh, so wow. One character we haven't talked about at all is Stu. Oh, Stu. So, we might... so Stu is an, an, an IT guy that is a friend of, what is it? Who, who's the young guy uh, they bring on? Nick. Is it Nick? Yep. Nick, yeah. yeah. Um, so Stu is a friend. He's human. He's not yet turned to a vampire. Um, this guy was is actually an IT guy who was a friend of YTT's. He's not an actor. He l- literally, when he's describing his job, that oh is his job. They tricked him. Allegedly, they tricked him the entire time into thinking that he was going to have this very small role. And they just kept duping him into coming back like, hey, come back for this scene real quick. You're not going to be that big of a deal. And And... Honestly, it's reported that he had no idea he was so important to the movie until YTD brought him to the film's premiere. That's so cute. And this guy fucking kills it. I know. It makes it so charming. They said they they told him nothing about his importance because they wanted him to continue to act natural. So if you go back and you watch the scene where they ask him what his job is and and you have this knowledge, it's unbelievable. Like it's it's so heartwarming and innocent. Um, but that's just another instance of how, you know, some of these mockumentaries or indie films um, or these really dry comedies, um, they just nail it because they really go for the heart, you know, taking a script and throwing it out and being like, you know what, here's the premise. You guys do your thing. I respect you enough. Yeah. Um, it makes sense that a lot of these directors and filmmakers we talk about that start with these types of movies go on to do greater things because they're 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 people leaders. They're they're you know mining talent and letting it grow rather than trying to you know rule with an iron fist like yeah. i'm the fucking director well and it's cool because this this movie obviously had like some sort of like you know movie studio budget because some of the effects are actually you know for a mockumentary like they're pretty cool like the like the weird like bat fight that like the two have and then i think my favorite part of the entire movie hands down is when nick is trying to escape the weird paschetti uh dinner party and um he's like running and he has a backpack on and then all of a sudden like someone's coming out of the backpack like behind him like it's obviously like a very well done movie and i i think the effects really added to the humor because when i when i first watched it I was like, oh, yeah, this will be funny, like, haha, like, whatever. And then, like, those effects started kicking in, and I'm like, oh, shit. Like, this is, like, this has the makings to be a, a, a serious movie. Yeah, yeah I mean, then- it, was, it was actually done for under $2 million. Um, and the bat scene that you talked about, they intended that to be a full-on fight with the human <laughs> characters, and they, fig- they, they realized no way that we can, like, it's make just- this work. Uh, so they ended up, ch- 
and they wanted to avoid like CGI effects. So that was their one concession that they were like, oh, fuck, we can't afford like the wires to make these guys fly around and fight each other. So yeah. we'll do some bats. <laughs> um, but but spe- speaking of effects, it, after they first meet the werewolves and they all go to this diner and they're just sitting around the table. Um, the, the, they realized in post-production that the table had a reflection of all four of them. So the effects crew had to spend 80 hours oh. erasing their reflections from the table just to keep the, the whole thing up that they're vampires that don't See, have a reflection. That That's is because literally a, like a small amount of people would have noticed. <laughs> but I mean, nowadays it would take one person yeah. to notice and it's all over the internet and BuzzFeed Ugh. posts about it and it's, yeah. you know... That's similar to what that's similar to what Dave does with his podcast. Thank you. Yeah, I, was, I, was, I like the cat. Uh, cat, you mentioned the uh, the, the Paschetti scene with Nick. Uh, I I love that much later on after Nick has turned, um, he tries to do the same thing with the French fries. And he's like, look at the. He's like, look at them, they're worms. And they have to tell it. Yeah, it doesn't work with French fries. It only it only works with things that already look like worms. But you can't. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, Dave. What did you think about it? I, I already talked. About I think it, he already. I think he already I feel said. Like we've been but, talking uh, about it for so long. I love. Yeah, it. I, I think love we're this good. Movie. I think so, we can wrap it up. Uh, um, well, we should. Well, um, we. Okay. Did you? We haven't talked about film scores at all, but this film score was done by this like '80s and '90s psychedelic band um, called Plan Nine. Um, and they also have a song called Man Bites Dog. Oh, I wanted, I wanted to talk about the familiar thing because I really liked um, Jackie. Yeah. Jackie um, is the familiar for, uh, what's his name in the movie? Uh, via, uh, Deacon? Deacon, yeah. Deacon. Deacon, the young one. So he has a familiar. And at one point, so they're, they're, they, they, I guess they, the gag is with the familiars, they promise them that they're going to eventually turn them into a vampire. And they'll be rewarded with eternal life if they are the slave of the vampire for however long. So at some point, Jackie like gives, uh, gives this whole speech about how it's been so long and uh, she's waiting to be turned into a vampire for eternal life. And it is literally the speech of a girlfriend who wants to be proposed to. <laughs> It's the exact. Oh. It's the exact speech. It, she's like, it's been four years. Um, she's reaching her potential as a person. She would hate to quote unquote get any older before. I mean, it is literally the dissatisfied speech of somebody waiting to be married. But I would say I, I lo- the stakes are so much higher. Oh, till death oh. do us part. it's time for the horror movie news just when you thought the news couldn't get worse we're here to make it so on april 12th a man drowned in portland back cove fleeing from police portland police say the 25 year old man fled marginal way after allegedly assaulting two people he ran across the interstate to back bay running path and jumped into the water he was underwater for 24 minutes before the police were able to rescue him and this reminds me of an early 2000s story of a moose that was found in Back Bay standing in the water. The police shot the moose with non-fatal tranquilizers, and of course, he drowned moments after being rendered unconscious. I owned a butcher shop with my family at the time, 
and the city of Portland actually brought the carcass of the moose to my parents' shop to be made into sausage. So all you criminals and wildlife, watch out for the giant mud puddle that is back bay. You will not find salvation there. The police will not save you.